Turn with me to Exodus chapter uh, chapter 39. We're going to cover 36 through 39. But we won't read the whole thing. On, note on prayer, since we've been having people pray publicly more often, I know there's some anxiety with prayer. But the very nature of prayer is that you are not adequate. So if you don't feel like you know what you're doing when you're praying, that's normal, and that's why we pray. Many of you feel like you're okay, why do you, you don't need to pray anymore. So prayer is based on some sort of shortcoming in us, inadequacy, lack, so it's entirely natural to feel like that when you pray in front of people, and there's nothing wrong with embracing your own inadequacy and own shortcomings, which is why we go to God with them. But today we're going to look at it's Exodus uh, 36 through 39. We're only going to read the last portion of that because it, it covers uh, the building of the tabernacle in great detail. So if, remember the story of Exodus. They are brought out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness. They're brought to the mountain called Sinai. God gives them the word, uh, the ten words to be exact, ten commandments, the law. They accept them uh, shortly after. While Moses is receiving the instructions, the exact instructions for a place where God can meet with them, they break the word. They break the law. Build an idol. God, Moses comes down and intercedes for them. They're protected. And they reaffirm the covenant. God reissues the word, the law. And now we come to their reaction, their second chance, as it were. So the word was given. The calf was made. God protected and now the word is obeyed. The word of God is revelation of God. God's word, through his prophets, is how we know God. And obedience to his word is how we get to God. We know who God is because we receive his word, and the path to God is obedience to his word. We'll see how that works out in this passage and also in the New Testament and how it connects to Christ's own obedience for us. So in this passage, starting with verse 32, chapter 39, verse 32, this is the end of the account of how they built the tabernacle. So now at the very end, it, it, it gives a summary. It says, verse 32, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The covering of ram skins dyed red, the covering of badger skins, and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles, and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils, and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamp set in order, all its utensils, and the oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grates of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of, the, of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and his son's garments to minister as priest. 
According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. If you're reading through this passage, and I hope you did read it, even though it seems redundant because it's all given in chapter 25, 26, 27, it's almost word for word the same thing. So why is it given again? See, this is just a summary. In the previous two, two, three chapters, it explains exactly how it was given, how it was made. This is a story. This is not an encyclopedia. And in the story, what has happened? The instructions for the tabernacle were given. They're long chapter after chapter of gold sockets and tents and coverings and furniture. The instructions were given. Then they built a false god. So the question remains in the story... Will they actually do what God said? Because they've already failed. So they got the instruction. So the redundancy is not really redundant. It's first instructions given for the tabernacle. Then they failed. And now the next point is, will they actually follow the instructions? Because they couldn't even keep the don't have any other gods before me. They couldn't even do that. How are they going to do all the rest of it? So this part of the story, as it goes chapter after chapter, talking about how he made the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet thread, repeating the instructions, it's showing that the people of Israel obeyed exactly what was given. So we wouldn't have known that before. We'd only have known what God would have said. So you see there's two parts to this, what God says and what the people do. You leave out one and you don't have the full story. So in this passage you see exact obedience to the instructions. Exact obedience, not just general obedience. Exact obedience, down to how many rings they made for the curtain, how many frames they made, how big the all, exact instructions were given, and exact obedience was also given, as the Lord commanded. So when you read through chapters 36, 37, 38, 39, you'll see the word, the Lord had, they did as the Lord had commanded Moses 11 times. Now, here's just, when you're studying the Bible, when you see a word, you pay attention because it's the Bible. When you see it twice, you take note. If you see the same word three times in a passage, you should underline that word because it means something. When you see that phrase 11 times, that's basically the point. That doesn't really happen much in the Bible where that phrase is repeated that many times. So the point of this passage is repeated 11 times. They did as the Lord had commanded Moses. That's the point. God gives the word. The people obey the word as the word was given. Not as they thought they should or their interpretation of it, but as it was given. You see, this is a chance, and this is the completion of Israel redoing what happened in the Garden of Eden. Think about what happened in the Garden of Eden. God creates a people. He gives that people a word. He gives them instructions. He says, keep the garden. Guard it. Protect it. Don't eat that tree. What, is, what happens? Eve, we all know the story. Eve's there. The snake comes to her and says, did God really say? Look at that fruit of that tree that you're not supposed to eat. That'll make you happy. That's what he says to her. It will give you knowledge. It will make you like God. Well, Eve knows that God is the greatest thing in the whole world. 
So she wants to be like God, right? That makes sense, actually. Satan says you can be like God if you disobey God. And so Eve says, that sounds like a good deal. I'll do it. So her and Adam disobey God in order to be like God. Now we come to this place. Same thing. God has created a people, Israel. He's given them instructions. They fail like Adam. But now they redo Adam's failure and succeed. At least in this passage. Instructions given. And we see here instructions kept. Just like Adam was supposed to do, just like they were supposed to do. Instructions given, instructions kept. They're redoing Adam. They're resetting the world. The world that has drifted further and further away from God. Why? Because they would not accept God's word. They would not accept the instructions from God. Now, in this section, Israel is accepting and keeping God's word. Exactly. How they know God's word. See, this is important. It didn't just say they obeyed God. In these 11 passages, look in verse 32. Thus all the work of the, t- of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. But that's not all. And the children of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded. Moses. You see, the Lord did not give them a direct word. What did he do? He gave the word to Moses, and Moses gave it to them. A pattern that is repeated through the whole Bible. God does not speak directly to man like he did in the garden. He now has messengers. He has prophets, apostles, chosen people to take his word to the people. So we see here that Moses was the prophet. What does that mean for us? God's not going to speak to you out of heaven. He's going to give you the Bible. What is the Bible? Simple. The Bible is Moses coming down off Sinai, writing down what he said, and handing it to you. The Bible is the apostles receiving the word of Jesus and writing that word down and giving it to us. Why do we still have the same book after 2,000 years? Because there's no other witnesses to Jesus. The prophets spoke with God directly and wrote down what they said, what they heard. So Paul, Peter, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David received God's word wrote it down, gave it to us. This is the pattern given here. They did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. This is telling us that it's okay to obey God through the word of his prophets. It's okay. God intended it to be that way. Israel didn't say, well, we didn't hear God say it, so we really can't obey God. No, it was okay for them to hear the word of Moses. When God chooses a representative, we are called to listen to that representative. The representatives are written down in the Bible. The pen, God's pen, used through people. This passage teaches us that God's people obey God. God's people obey God. Are we God's people? Are we God's chosen people, rescued, saved, brought to him? Then what do we do? We do just like they did, all that he commanded. See, when Jesus gave his last words to his apostles, he said, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, now, they knew about Moses. They knew they were to obey Moses. Now, listen to Jesus. All authority authority has been given to me. 
all authority has been given to me. That's a proclamation that establishes Jesus as the connection between God and us, just like Moses was. So now that all authority has been given to Jesus on heaven and earth, whatever comes after that statement is our instructions based on the authority of the, of the messenger. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. What is a disciple? It's someone who listens to God and obeys God. Someone who listens to God, believes it, and responds. Disciple is not just a believer. It's a follower. Jesus says, you follow me. That's the way it should be. That's what a Christian is. Exact obedience to Christ. We follow Christ because he has authority. How do we live our lives? Look to Christ. He is, see, sometimes we only think of Christ as the Savior and as the forgiver and as the comforter. Yes, but he's also the lawgiver. He's also the king. He's also Lord. See, we, we worship him as Lord. Jesus, yes, the man Jesus, Christ the Savior, yes, Jesus Christ the Lord. So he says here, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, identifying, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. All things. Just like in this passage in Exodus, how much of the tabernacle were they supposed to build? Everything that God commanded. All things commanded. So Jesus says, all things that I have commanded, you keep. God's people, same pattern. We follow and we teach others to follow. That is Christianity. Following Christ, teaching others to follow Christ. Follow what? Everything he, he said. And where did he say it? In the scriptures. The word given. So we keep the entire uh, words of Christ and we teach others to do the same. God's plan for his people has not changed since creation. Adam, do this, don't do that. Israel, do this, don't do that. Christians, Jesus says, do this, don't do that. Found in his word. And that's our calling. So they obeyed. But they were also inspected. Now, if you've ever been in a military organization or uh, sort of an exact science, it's not just what you do, it's how it's inspected. You don't just say, I did it, and everyone's like, great. No, your supervisor shows up and says, let me see what you did. Why? Because Israel, the military, your job, your kids, it's all the same. People either say they did something they didn't do, or they say they did it, but they didn't do it well enough. And so there's inspections. So that's what happens here. They inspected. So it says, thus all the work of the tabernacle, verse 33, and they brought the tabernacle to Moses. And it gives a list of everything they brought, which is everything. According to all that the Lord had commanded, verse 42, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work. Who's the judge here? Not the workers. Now, remember who the workers were. Gifted by the Holy Spirit trained in all wisdom and skill and workmanship and knowledge to do this. Yet, who is the judge? The prophet, Moses. So the workers brought the work to Moses because he was the authority. Why was he the authority? 
because he had the word of God. The workers were not the authority. Now, you can see how they thought they would be, maybe. The head guy says, Moses, you've never built a golden ark before. You're not a master craftsman. How would you know? Moses says, I talk to God. Therefore, I'm the authority. So we don't just obey. We are inspected by the word. God examines us. See, Moses verified the work. It says, then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded. It wasn't approved until it was examined by God's word. So you don't just obey. You go back to the word and examine your obedience. You test it. Why? Because the word discerns your obedience. Your intentions don't. Your heart doesn't. Your devotion doesn't. You know, have you ever heard, like, it's the thought that counts? Not really. No, it's not the thought that counts. It's God's word that counts. You see, can you imagine these people coming to Moses and said, look, we, we did the best we could. And Moses is like, okay, you missed a bunch of stuff, but you did the best you could. It's the thought that counts. That's not how God works. God is perfect and expects perfection. And so it's inspected, and they did it perfectly. So when we obey, what do we do? We examine our obedience, our lives, our hearts, by the word. Hebrews 4 tells us, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. This is referring back to the Israelites. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Well, how do you know if you're disobedient? He says, be diligent. Have you ever questioned, like, I don't know, man, maybe I am doing the wrong thing. You ever question yourself so much that you think the questioning is part of the problem? You sort of get in this loop? Well, now that I'm questioning, it means I have doubt. Well, now that I have doubt, it means I'm wrong. But if I'm questioning the fact that I have doubt, I have more doubt. It's this endless loop. So maybe you go to someone. Can you tell me if I'm wrong? And they give you their point of view, and you're like, I don't know if that's right. Maybe they're wrong too. So what does the Bible tell us? Be diligent, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, we use this verse, the this, this Bible is a sword, as sort of a weapon. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying, you take yourself to the Bible, and it will tell you what's wrong with you. You see, you don't know what's wrong with you. You think you know what's wrong, but you don't know what's wrong. You may come to me to tell you what's wrong. I don't know what's wrong with you, but the Bible does. So God's Spirit gives us the Word and then says, I'll test you by the Word. I'll reveal your heart. I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Well, how's it work? I don't know how God works. You read the Bible, the Spirit works, and it happens. Jesus says the Spirit moves like the wind. You don't see where it comes from. You don't see where it goes. You just see the results. Amen. And what are the results? You bring your work to God. You examine it by Scripture, and the Bible discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from its sight. 
You see, you can deceive people. You can easily deceive the preacher. So when I get up here to preach a sermon, if I'm basing my sermon only on what I know about you, I'm going to miss a lot. You can deceive yourself. But you cannot deceive God. And if you will humble yourself and bring yourself to the word, the word will show you where you're wrong. This is why we have expository preaching. Because I don't know what's wrong with you, but the Bible does. See, I don't know if you've got an anxiety loop right now. I don't know what you need. So I'm going to give you this word, and God will show you what you need. The Bible reveals who we are, where we're wrong. It shows us what God wants because we answer to God. See, if Moses had told the people, it's good with me, they would have said, "Mm, is it good with God? But Moses had God's word. So they knew they were good with God because Moses told them they met the requirements. So we bring ourselves to God for inspection by his word. Not just the outer works. You see, this is the change here. You notice the change? They brought their, their works of their hands. And Moses says, that's good. But what about their hearts? We'll know from the rest of the Old Testament, their hearts weren't right. We have something better. This said, the Bible says that it examines not just our works, but also our hearts. The Bible says what you did was wrong or right. But more importantly, why you did it was wrong or right. Isn't that what we all want when we take those tests online? The Enneagrams, the personality tests. We want an objective source to tell us who we are. We want to be told it's not just in our heads, that we're not crazy, or that we're not deceived. We want someone to tell us who we are. This is what the Bible's offering. God himself to discern your heart. Now, it is like a sword because you hide things for a reason. So when you come to church, to the worship service, there's two failures you could have. You could not listen. I know you're here, but that doesn't mean you're listening. I've been pastor for three years now. I can tell not every week, but over years, Who's listening and who's not listening? Not like right now, I can't tell. But I can tell after a couple years. And I'm not special. If you're not listening, you'll never know what's right or wrong. It doesn't mean you won't do what's wrong. You just won't even know it. You'll be cut off from everything. It was as if, if you come and you listen to these sermons, you listen to the Bible preach, and you've got reasons not to pay attention or not to register or not to listen with faith, It's like them building this work and never bringing it to Moses and just saying, I hope it's right. Don't really care, though. But some of you do come and listen. But then you don't do anything afterwards. You see, you can listen and say, I believe. But then what? Do you obey? You see, in this passage, they did everything right the first time. But you know what would have happened if they brought something to Moses and Moses said, that's not right? They would have done it over again. They would have taken back whatever piece didn't pass inspection, and they would have remade it. Just believing the word is not enough. You've got to follow it, or else you don't believe it at all. So if you listen, you say, that was a good sermon, it was from the Bible, I agree with it, and then nothing after that, you have a dead faith. So it's listen and obey and inspect. 
constantly reevaluating and evaluating your life by Scripture. But you know what you're going to find when you do that? You don't match up. You see, you can obey like they did, and you can be inspected like they did. But look at the last verse of this passage. And they took it, and they did it, and Moses blessed them. Why did he bless them? Because they obeyed exactly. And if God had only asked us to build another tabernacle, we could get perfect obedience. But he's asked a lot more, hasn't he? When you read the Bible, you realize there's a lot of stuff in there, and we're not doing it. So when you bring yourself to inspection, you're going to find that you fail every time. Maybe that's why you don't listen, because you're tired of being told you're a failure. Maybe that's why you don't obey, because you don't want to be reconfronted with your lack of obedience. See, the Bible is going to discern that you are a sinner, that you are always coming up short, which means there's no blessing for you in obedience. You'll get no blessing from Moses because you don't have perfect obedience. So if Moses blessed in response to obedience, how do we get blessed without obedience? Because that's what we need, isn't it? Because we know we're not obeying. So how do we get blessed anyway? None of us are really the kind of person who's like, I don't need to get blessed. I'll just suffer. I'll just pay. No, we want to get blessed though we failed. So we have to go to the New Testament. You see, in, chapter, in Hebrews 4, it says, uh, the, the word of God discerns our hearts, and there's no creature hidden from his sight. You know what the next verse says? The very next verse, after telling you that the Bible is going to expose your weakness and your sin, the very next verse says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, there's the obedience. He, like us, on this earth, tested and obeyed. How much did he obey? Without sin. Perfect obedience. So how do we get the blessing? Not by obeying, too late for that. But Christ did obey. He has perfect obedience, tempted as we are, yet without sin. We fail the test, but Christ did not. And therefore, when we accept Christ, we receive the benefits of his perfect obedience. And when we reject Christ, we receive the benefits of our disobedience. It's simple. You can't obey, but Christ did. And if you accept Christ, you get the blessings of perfect obedience. We call this justification, union with Christ, adoption, communion with God. When we pray, do you realize that not a single person who's ever prayed in this church has done it the right way? Not one single person who's ever prayed on this earth did it right except for Jesus. So if you think God's going to accept your prayer because you got it right, failed. So you need God to accept your prayer because Jesus got it right. That's called perfect communion with God based on Christ's obedience, which means your communion with God can never be interrupted unless Christ's Christ's communion is interrupted. Will Christ be interrupted? 
then you won't be either. If you're in Christ. If you accept Christ. That's justification. He obeyed, takes our burden. We are blessed for him. He obeys for us. We are blessed for him. That's justification. That's our communion with God. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. See the separation? There is condemnation for those who are outside of Christ. But there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What's, what's it all say? The law doesn't change. Perfect obedience. So Christ kept it in the flesh so that now we are free from it. Free from perfect obedience. Take a deep breath. You don't have to be perfect anymore. If you think you're perfect, go back a few points. You're not. But if you know you're not perfect, now you can relax. You don't need to be perfect. You can just relax and be yourself. Your imperfect self. Christ was perfect for you. See what the Bible does? Gives it for both ways. It shows you your weakness, and then it shows you Christ. And then you can deal with your weakness. That's justification. But there's something else to this life. And this is what we miss. You see, all we see is a law that condemns and Christ that saves. And so we naturally say, well, the law is bad and Christ is good. But that's not biblical. That's a thing called antinomianism. Now, that's a long word that we don't use very much, but it means anti-law. You've heard of legalism? Legalism is saying keeping the law will, will make you right with God. Well, no. But the reaction to that is that the law doesn't matter anymore. The law is gone. It's bad. Get rid of it. We don't need it. But what the Bible tells us is that the law is good and that keeping the law is good. How see, Christ has blessed you, but how do you experience that blessing? It's like, okay, I know it's out there. But how do I experience the happiness that I'm supposed to have in Christ? Do you think Christ is unhappy right now? Of course not. So why are we unhappy? We have the blessings of Christ. We are blessed in heavenly places with all spiritual blessings. Why aren't we happy like Jesus is happy? That's the Christian life. Closing that gap. How do you close the gap? By the law. By the word. Him says, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, justification, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. You see, it's not just enough for your sins to be removed. What's the point of the Bible? It's recovering what was lost, not just in your life, what was lost in creation. When Adam, back in the very beginning, just obeyed God because he wanted to, because he liked to. That's what we're getting back to. God is restoring the image of himself in us. Where you don't obey because you have to, 
You obey because you want to. Then you look at the law and you say, why would I want to obey the law? If Jesus just forgives everything, why do I care what the law says? Why do I want to? How many of you have a low view of the law? That God's word is just there, like, "Ah, I know, God says do a bunch of stuff. I don't really want to talk about that. Just talk about Jesus. You can't talk about Jesus without talking about the word. We obey the word, just like they did in this passage. What did they do? They were given the word, and they obeyed it, and they were blessed. Why should we obey the word? All the parts about doing stuff. Isn't Christ, isn't the Christian life about freedom? Now we're supposed to be doing stuff? Once you know that you're free, your communion can't be broken, then what? That's what we have here. Psalm 119 Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me, because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Aren't you desperate for something that doesn't change? That doesn't fail? That isn't debunked? That isn't fake news? Aren't we always looking for something we can rely on? Somebody that's going to be honest all the time? Someone that's always real with us? Some political party that keeps its promises? Some reporter that doesn't make up stuff? Constantly in search of these things? Sometimes we look to our families to do that. You can always trust family. Sometimes we look to our political parties. This is what the Bible offers us. He says, your words are pure, which means tried and tested. Therefore, your servant loves it. We go to the Bible because it never changes. It's always upright. It's always righteous. We are sinners. Therefore, the law condemns us, but the law is not condemned. Just because the word sends us to hell without Christ doesn't mean the word is wrong. So once we are made right with God, we go back to the word and we enjoy it. We see how good it is, how true it is, how upright it is. So when you are struggling with everything else in the world is changing and unstable and unsure, you can go back to the Bible and say, if I just do what it says, I know for a fact that that's right. Whatever else happens, that's right. Nothing in the world is going to change that will change the Bible. His testimonies are upright. They're very faithful. They never change. But we also obey the law, the word, because it's good. Do you see God's commands as good, or do you see them as a burden? If you see them as a burden, all the stuff we're supposed to do, then you're still being judged by it. You're still trying to keep the standard. So we realize that Christ kept the standard, then we realize that the law is good for us. It's a delight. Remember the the psalm we read at the beginning? Your words are like honey, sweeter than honey. The commands of God are sweeter than honey. In James 1, it says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who's a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. But he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed in what he does. Did you catch that word blessed? 
He will be blessed in what he does. Now, read the words very carefully. It says, this one will be blessed in what he does, not for what he does. You miss that, you've missed Christianity. You've missed the gospel. You'll be blessed because, while you're serving, not because you serve. Those are two different words. I've got the Greek later if you want to look at it. Blessed in obedience. That means the act of obedience makes you happy. Do you feel that way? Maybe you don't, and I can't change that. So you need to say, is this true? Then Holy Spirit, change me. I was struggling with this sermon because I'm like, how do I convince people that the word of God is true? And then I realized I can't. There's absolutely nothing I can do right now to make you believe this. But if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will tell you what he just read was true, and that obeying God will make you happy. Freedom from obedience does not make you happy. Sort of, I can do whatever I want, and God will forgive me. That will not make you happy. But obeying the word will. The supreme, Johnson says, the supreme blessedness, happiness of every Christian is to know himself growing more like his Lord. What is the word of God? Is it not God's revelation of himself? It's not God and then some word that he gave that doesn't match. The word is how we know God. So to keep the word is to do what Eve wanted in the beginning, to be like God. Satan says, if you disobey, you'll be like God. But God says, no, no, no. If you obey, you'll be like God. And so Jesus comes to this earth and does what? Obeys. Because Jesus knows what it meant to be happy. And he knew that obeying every word was the key to happiness. Now, he didn't get rewarded for it. He, was, he suffered for it. But the happiness was in the obedience. That's not going to make sense to you, and that's not going to work unless the Holy Spirit changes your heart. And if you're stuck on that, all you can do right now is pray that God will change you. That the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and make obedience happiness. See, Richard Baxter says, antinomianism rose from among us. Now, he wrote 400 years ago, but it could be right to us. It arose as anti-law, the law is bad, from an obscure preaching of evangelical grace. Grace that insisted too much on tears and terrors. See, you may have heard so much of the Bible preached to where you were supposed to be sad and sorrowful and crying and afraid all the time. And so you are reacting the other way to where you don't care what the Bible says. That's wrong, too. The answer to legalism is not freedom from the law. The answer to legalism is joy and delight in obeying the law. To be like Christ. Do you think you'll be happier being like Christ or being like Satan? You have a path before you right now. Choose who you will serve this day. Choose who will make you happy, God or Satan. How do you follow that path? Following the words. Whose words will you follow? Will you follow Satan's words? Don't believe God. Then you'll be happy. Or will you follow God's words? Obey me and you'll be happy.
to obey God is to be like Jesus. And in Christ, we find all the glories of God. We are restored to the image of God, first in justification, then in sanctification, living out the commands. The word is where we find Christ. The word is where we see Christ. And the word is where we become like Christ. You want to be happy? You want to grow? Go to the word and obey it. And that will make you happy. Everything else may go wrong in your life, but obedience will make you happy. To, have, to love Christ, to love Christ, is to live like Christ. True happiness is obedience out of love, just like Jesus. Let's pray.